The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Where this week, we're talking to seven successful lady marketers to understand how they've navigated their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent female marketers in the MarTech community. Joining us today is Adrian Buman, who is a very special guest that is the head of channel partners for Google's marketing platform. Google is a little company that you might have heard of, which runs a popular search engine, an advertising platform. They make smartphones, internet balloons, and some fancy looking glasses. But prior to her current role working at Google, Adrienne and I worked together at eBay, and we've remained very close friends ever since. So I'm excited to have one of my best friends on the podcast today. Okay, here is our interview with Adrienne Buman, the head of channel partnerships at Google Marketing Platform. Adrienne, welcome to Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Ben. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm just going to get this out of the way now. At some point during this podcast, I'm going to call you Dutt because <laughs> that is your maiden name and your nickname for me ever since we've met has been Dutt. So my apologies to your husband, Brendan, if I do not use the correct last name. But Dutsky, it's great to have you on the show. Ben, it's awesome to be here. Let's start off by talking a little bit about the early parts of your career. How did you get into marketing? That's a really good question because I actually did not start out by getting into marketing. My background was industrial engineering. I graduated from Cornell with an engineering degree and thought I wanted to go into optimization and a handful of other more industrial places. And my first job that I landed out of school was at UPS, driving the brown truck and figuring out how to optimize their routes and package delivery and all of that. So for the listeners to this podcast are all technology-driven marketers. Give me a sense of what the difference between industrial engineering and some of the other types of engineering are. Well, how I always thought about it was industrial engineering was more of the business side of engineering, how to make systems and processes run instead of more physical, whether it was civil or electrical. Okay. So it is less about the manufacturing and building of structures or coding or technologies, but more about process management than anything else. It's interesting to hear that an engineering background led you to be successful in the marketing. You started working at UPS, figuring out how to get packages from point A to point B, a lot of logistics work. What led you to decide to go into a different field? Your next role was as a consultant at Accenture. Talk to me about making that change. 
to be honest, it was because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I thought consulting would be a great way to get experience on a variety of projects and just learn and see different industries and just learn more what working life was about in my 20s. Tell me about the experience of being a consultant. You're based in New York City. You're in your early 20s. What were some of the projects you worked on? What experiences did you get? Well, I had a handful of projects. I was only there for a couple of years, but it was great because it was long enough. I worked at Bausch & Lomb doing a financial implementation on PeopleSoft, worked at a bank, worked at Marriott in DC. So I just had a wide variety of exposure into how different companies work, what different people were like, different cultures. It was really helpful to understand what might I want to do next. So you're at Accenture, you're, you're gaining a broad sense of career experience. What were some of the things that you took away from that experience? I actually learned that I didn't want to be doing ERP software implementation. I thought that was boring <laughs> because it was very technical, which was great because I had a technical background, so I could do it pretty well. But I did see that there were a lot of companies doing cool things, and I wanted to do that maybe not in the way I was doing it. And that's where I leveraged my network. Good pal, Emily Brady, that you know, talked to her about eBay. And I thought that sounded like a really fun company. So you met our mutual friend of ours, Emily. Hello. How are you? I hope you're listening to this podcast. We love you. Give us both a call. (laughs) But through your network and the development of this friendship, that led you to a couple different career paths. Talk to me about how you cultivated that relationship that ended up being impactful and dictating the directions that you had in your career. Well, I think it's such a great story of how building your network over time is so important because... You never know if you'll kind of end up following someone or not. But I think just being able to say, hey, we work together somewhere. We have that same level of understanding of that company, that culture, that experience. And then, you know, when you're kind of looking for your next thing, it's it's much easier to call on a friend or an old colleague to say, hey, what's this new experience like? And they can vouch for you and say, you'd be a good fit here. You should check this out and make that introduction. For the people that are relatively new in their career listening to this podcast, I think that's one of the most important pieces of advice anybody can give is that the connections and the friendships you make early in your career and developing your network when you're working at a big company not only is important for what's happening at the company that you're working with and helping you to move forward, but 10 years down the road, you're going to have relationships with those people and they're going to be able to vouch for you as somebody who has credibility and works hard. And that helps you get the jobs two, three steps down the line in your career. So make sure that you're cultivating those relationships no matter how your job is going. Adrian, eventually you move from being a consultant and then you see the light and you come out here to the West Coast and you and I started working together at eBay. Talk to me about your decision in taking on your role at eBay and what were you doing when you first got here? When I first got to eBay, I started out doing search marketing. I didn't know anything about it. I remember sitting and learning about marketing optimization on a whiteboard and it dawned on me, the light bulb went off where I thought, I'm actually going to use my degree. And I never knew if I would. And it was that moment of, oh, this is full circle. This is what I studied. This is actually what I wanted to do back when I graduated Cornell. And here is a way to apply that in a way that is exciting to me, doing marketing, thinking about the consumer, how do we reach them in the best way with the right ad at the right time and all the stuff we talk about now. That was it. And we were trying to figure out how to do it. The other thing that was so exciting to me about eBay was just, it was 10 plus years ago where we were starting a lot of new stuff. We were building out a team. It was, it was a really exciting time. 
So I think that the time at eBay, I've had a couple of guests from eBay that were all co-workers of ours come onto this show. And consistently what people have said is that that was a special time, not only because of the mixture of people that were there, it was a mature company. There was an incredible amount of talent. They were developing bench strength, which is how they hired you. They accidentally hired me somewhere along the process as well. But it was also a tipping point in the development of the internet where we were going from web 1.0, these major portal relationships to sort of a 2.0 type marketing channel where people were doing paid search for the first time. And there was a lot of innovation happening there. Then there was the development of social networks and user generated content. As you reflect back on your time at eBay, what do you take away from that experience working at a large company that was in between being a growth stage company and a mature company? You hit the nail on the head with how you described it. And I think I reflect now and think about, number one, I liked being at a bigger company. I liked having that vision and structure in place. But what I really liked about that time period and opportunity there was that there was this area of innovation. Our technology was changing. There's rapid innovation. And we were positioned in a team that could go after it. And I think that was what was so exciting about it. And now, as I've looked for opportunities and navigated my career since then, trying to find a similar opportunity, it's rare. So I think another thing I take away is when you're in it, you don't necessarily know that it is one of those experiences until you kind of come out of it and go, oh, wow, that was something unique. And I think trying to find those areas of rapid innovation where you have the backing of a big company is a pretty exciting place to be. I think that there's another component to that. And I will preface this when we were were working at eBay together. Those were my younger, dumber, drunker days. (laughs) And in my earlier 20s, and I'm not saying that that was what it was for you, but for me personally, you know, I was living a social life that was obviously important to me. I was pre-marriage, pre-kids and not having the greater career context of this is a special place at a special time going through this rapid growth and there's plenty of opportunity. You know, I didn't have the perspective then in my early 20s. Do you feel like you gained the perspective like I feel like I did reflecting back on our time at eBay that that was something special and it helped you figure out what you wanted to do or did you know it at the time? I think I had an idea mainly because other people were saying that. So I think I knew that it was this great team, but not to the full extent. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty on these things. But I do think that it's helped me be more aware when we get to what I've done at Google in the last five years. I mean, that again, to me, has been very similar. And just to be very aware of this is really awesome. And what we're building is similar to this sort of once in a lifetime. You know, once it gets to a certain maturity level or the industry tips, then it's not going to be the same as what it is now. For the people that are younger in their career that are in their mid-20s, when we started working together, how do you recognize when you're in one of those special scenarios? I didn't realize that what was put in front of us was special. Didn't quite understand it. For the me's of the world, how would you advise them to stop and think and reflect on the experience that they're having and figure out whether they're in something that's worth paying more attention to? I would say when you're having fun. We were having so much fun. And I think it's okay to not necessarily know the full extent of it. I mean, how can you? But I think if you can say, this is really fun, we're doing great, and we're high-fiving every Friday, that's it. It can be that simple, especially when you're in your 20s, right? Yeah. (laughs) And just taking the moment to go, you know what? It was another good week. We worked hard. We played hard. That's a beautiful thing to be part of. 
Yeah, I think it's working hard and playing hard. And also, I learned a tremendous amount during those years, not only about my channel of marketing. I was in business development and eventually went on into the SEO team. But I learned a lot about other channels. And I know that you worked in multiple channels where you're at eBay. You started off as a paid search specialist. Eventually, you moved into display advertising. Talk to me about what you learned going from one channel of marketing to the next. I think that was the biggest, most important milestone for me was actually changing. And I think that's one piece of advice I would love to you know, share with others is just not being afraid to change. And in that instance, I was actually asked to go from search over to the display team. So for me, it wasn't necessarily me pushing for a change, but being asked and frankly, given that opportunity, which was huge for me. And I didn't realize that necessarily at the time. I just said, I'm a team player. What is it? Let me help. But with that attitude and being open to it and going and embracing it and just running with that new project, that was a big pivotal moment for me. And I think sometimes also, especially maybe as you get older and more mature in your career, unless someone asks you to do that, I think it's harder to search out those opportunities. A lot of things going on, you get comfortable. And I think just remembering that those times of change and learning something new can really open you up. You can learn new things. That's an area for personal growth and new career opportunities come out of it. So when you made the transition from focusing on paid search to display advertising, what did you find that was similar that you were able to use your skill set? And what did you have to learn that was new? Similar was, well, actually it was exciting that what we wanted to do was take how we looked at search and bring it to display. So that's what was similar. I could say, here's how we bid on keywords. I'm going to bring this to display. And that mindset of just thinking about the user, how we approach the business, and frankly, taking that over was the similar part. But I didn't know anything about display media. It is very different from search and trying to bridge that gap was pretty challenging. Yeah, I think of your team and also, you know, I'll mention Daphne Sacco, who we both worked with together. It was one of my favorite bosses while I was at eBay. The landscape of display advertising is very disaggregated. There's lots of people that you can buy display advertising from. With search marketing, there are very few partners. But the technology that eBay was building around real-time bidding and now what's called programmatic advertising really was cutting edge. Eventually, you decided to leave eBay. You were there for about four years. What caused you to leave and what were you searching for at the time? Before we talk about me leaving, I think it's important to just kind of reiterate what you said that when I came over to the display side, again, the opportunity was to build out the programmatic side. So it was such a rush to be able to say, okay, we're going to totally change the industry, working with reps at AOL, Microsoft, all these other big companies doing something so new. They were trying to keep up with us. And it was so fun. And so I did two years of that and we got it to a really great point. It was somewhat operational. And now looking back, of course, it's never fully operational. There's always something new. There's always something changing. But at that point in my mind, it was like, well, I set up all these relationships. We kicked off work with AppNexus, who was just launching. And I felt like I had learned a lot about that and got it to a good place. And I also saw these companies like AppNexus coming out and really wanted to be part of that. And that's what led me to the trade desk was really looking at where's somewhere new that I can be part of that new technology and really build it. I looked at what I was doing at eBay and thought, I'm on the marketing team, but I also really enjoy building things from scratch. So I want to go try that. So you're looking to diversify your experience. How much of it was moving from a large company to a small company that excited you? I think a fair amount. 
being in San Francisco, I didn't know how long I would end up being in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. And I just wanted to try it out. What would it be like to work at one of these tech startups and see what it was like to work at a really small company? Because at that point, I'd only been at these big companies on my resume. And I wanted to see what would it be like to, like they say, wear all hats and juggle a lot of different things and play a variety of roles. Yeah, I remember working at eBay feeling like all of the cool kids were working at the big companies like eBay and Microsoft and Yahoo at the time. And when they would leave, they would go to an early stage startup. And some of them were very successful. And we hadn't seen that early stage startups don't always end up being successes. So some people would bounce around a fair amount. But the attraction of getting to have equity in a company and be able to not only be an operator, but be a strategist was attractive to me. And I think that there was a trend for people at our age, which well, we were mid to late 20s by the time both of us had left eBay to go try to work for these smaller, more innovative and nimble companies to basically get more experience on a management and an executive level. Talk to me about what your experience was like at Trade Desk and how did it live up to your expectations for being in a small company and where did it fall short? I was really excited to, first of all, take on a different type of role. So for me, that was also a big factor in going to a startup was kind of being able to rebrand myself or try out a new function. So I was able to do that there working in a new capacity. I was the head of their product solutions at the time, and it gave me great exposure to their CEO and CTO and doing things I'd never done before. It was very exciting. And I also just did really like wearing lots of different hats and just having to figure it out. And that's really, truly what they do, startups in general. You're just figuring it out and you're trying to see what will work and figuring out what doesn't work really fast. So that was a really, really great experience. And I would say it was a wonderful company. It just was challenging because it was remote. So that's another thing is, you know, when you're evaluating each opportunity and trying to figure out the pros and cons and how much each one will weigh, I think for me, I'm realizing that I also need to be in an office face-to-face or at least enough of the time to be able to have that collaboration. So again, each of these steps in my career have been really good learning experiences to understand what works best for me. Because other people may love a startup or may love working remote or may love whatever. But for me, I realized I like to be more connected physically with people and have that like I come into the office and sit with folks. So it sounds like in this experience, you gained some more product management experience, right? You're developing product. You're still using your marketing experience because that's really what the product is. But you felt like the company, because you were working remotely, just didn't have the type of connection that you wanted. Yeah. And also, I don't think that we should have set it up that way because startups, you want people connected when you're a handful of people. You just kind of need to be able to have that banter. Yeah. It's hard to be remote and working in a small company because you're constantly iterating with the same people. And that was challenging. Eventually, you finally make your way to the mothership. And I remember having a conversation while you were looking for your job at Google, whether you should take the job because you were going to go back to a big company. And uh, everybody, excuse my language, cover your ears. I believe when you said, should I take this job? I said, Adrian, it's fucking Google. Of course you should take the job. (laughs) You eventually land at Google and you've been there for got close to eight years now. So talk to me about the experience going back into a big company. What attracted you to the role that you took at Google? I got to be honest. I think part of what I was looking for at that point in my life, and again, I think, yeah, we can chart out all these different companies or opportunities, but there's also the personal side to this. 
And I had just gotten married and we were thinking about starting a family. And I wanted some more stability in my life at that point. And I think that was also a big decision in, in taking that role and why we had that wonderful conversation together. <laughs> Sorry for being vulgar. <laughs> and I just really wanted to have a place that I could stay at for a little while and grow within. And I think that's where it is a little bit easier when you have a big company with a lot of teams, a lot more opportunities that already exist. That was appealing to me. And frankly, I had a good friend who, again, it goes back to the friendships and your network. And I had a friend that pulled me in and that made it easy and comfortable to say, hey, I totally get this team that you're working on. And I had a better picture for what it could be for me. But I have to say, it is challenging navigating a big company and we can get into it. But I did land in there and that was great. But it did take a lot of work to figure out where's the sweet spot? How do I actually make this work for me? And as we talked about earlier, reflecting on eBay, how do I find what I had at eBay? Because I knew that was great and wanted to say, how can I find that innovative role or opportunity where I can make that kind of impact? Because I know this industry is continuing to innovate. And how do I find that intersection? It's interesting to me, you know, I always looked at you lending the job at Google and I was like, oh, Adrian found the golden goose. Here's a company that has an incredible amount of respect in the industry. It's a fast growing company, but it also has the stability and resources and free food <laughs> and volleyball courts and dinosaur statues. And, you know, it's like an adult playground, but you also have all of the work benefits as well. But navigating the corporate culture for a company that's growing so rapidly and expanding into multiple different areas can be challenging. Tell me about the role that you took when you first started, and then how have you navigated your way over the last almost eight years to different roles? By the way, the perks are amazing, and I am grateful every day for them, even though I don't really, frankly, get to use a lot of them. You get like free massages and stuff, don't you? <laughs> if you can find time for massages, yes. It's like anyone's job. You're busy. I got time. You got time. All right. <laughs> so, of course, it's a draw to come in. But when you're in there, the reality is you still need to make an impact. You still need to find people you like to work with. You still need to learn the product and do all the training and navigate everything, right? So I landed as a sales AE. I was an account executive and working on Invite Media. And it was good. But as I got in there and I realized, okay, I need to learn the product. I need to learn all the corporate culture. I need to learn all this stuff. But then as I got settled, I thought, this isn't quite maybe as exciting as I had hoped for me personally. And maybe it was a variety of factors. I had to think about, all right, well, what is it that really excites me? I am at Google. There is a lot to do here and there's a lot of exciting work to do. So I had to really think about, again, that intersection of how can I take what excites me most and apply that to what we're doing here on the invite team? So to be honest, I realized what I really loved doing at eBay was working on things at scale. You remember marketing at eBay, you had to think about, you know, we have a million different items out there. You have to think about how do you scale the marketing across that user base and product base, right? And I just kept thinking, I like that. So I tried to figure out how can I do that here on a sales team at Google? So where that led me to was, all right, there's a lot of these self-service customers that we don't really support. How can we do that at scale and get them to use the product more? And that turned into... What then I ultimately ended up working on, which became how do we resell the product and create a reseller program and basically putting together like what I like to do helped me get to a role that was really impactful. And now this work I've been doing for the last five years, it's been really exciting. 
So the thing that puts a smile on my face is hearing how my friend Adrian took on a sales role at this big prominent company called Google that wasn't necessarily a fit for her. And you were able to take a step back and maybe take something that you learned from your startup experience and try to find some product market fit, but for your own career and realizing that you wanted to work in the development products in a marketing capacity. And you created a self-service platform within Google that then has spun off to become a reseller program. So talk to me a little bit about what you're doing now as the head of channel partnerships and what was the path to go from sales to managing a team like? Well, the other thing that we kind of talked about back at eBay and that happened again at Google was a little bit of luck. And we kind of talked about sometimes you're in the right place at the right time to have these great experiences. And that's, again, what happened to me. Because when I started working on that reseller model, I was an individual contributor. I was on a business development team within our sales team. And I really enjoyed it. But then there was a reorg, (laughs) like all big companies have. And basically, I ended up getting a team. They said, what Adrian's working on with resellers, there's some revenue there. We can kind of fold this in. So it's not a sexy story. It's a story of right time, right place. Adrian's doing great work. And I pushed for it too. I said, I can lead this team. I need more people. We're growing this business. And that's how becoming a manager happened to me. And it's not your typical story of applying for a manager role and getting it. And here's your team. And away we go with a clear path. Right. I think that you had to carve out a space for yourself and take initiative and do some self-promotion. This is also happening at a time where you have lots going on in your personal life. So talk to me about advocating for yourself and taking a step forward in your career while you're not only building a team in your organization, you're building a team at home. This is true. I have had three children since starting at Google. Let me clarify. Three beautiful little girls. (laughs) But if you can imagine three kids during a less than now eight-year period, they're all very close together. And while it's wonderful to have these three kids, and it's hard from a career perspective when you're trying to plot out, here's this next role. I feel like things are going well. And then, oh, I have a maternity leave to plan around. Or, hey, I'm pushing for this promotion and I'm going to be out next quarter. So I think it definitely was challenging. My perspective on it was, I want to have my children. So I just did that and hoped that the rest would work out. And luckily it did. But I think partly it was because I pushed for things. So I think it was my second maternity leave. And luckily I had made enough progress in my role. Actually, my promotion came through while I was on maternity leave. So we all kind of laughed, like go on maternity leave and get promoted. And a lot of it was just having to do with the cycles and the timing and all that. But I think the truth is what I really learned was like, I'm glad I didn't put things on hold because... When you are doing good work and pushing and advocating for yourself, it won't always happen, but I have that example of, I did get promoted. I did gain a team. I did continue to manage the team through two more pregnancies. And so it worked out, but it was a lot of coordinating and there's some tough moments in there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there were, I only have one son and there's even tough moments for me not having to have to actually birth the child (laughs) and going through being a parent. So I can't imagine how challenging it's been for you and for Brendan. But along the way, you managed to not only figure out the channel that you wanted to cultivate yourself, you were able to become a people manager and move into the next level of your career, moving away from an individual contributor into managing and running your own team. Now that you're the head of channel partnerships, how is that different than what you were doing when you started to manage the channel? It's very different. 
when you're an individual contributor, I don't know about others, but I thought I really want to be a manager. That's like the next milestone in my career. And it's interesting kind of looking back because the big difference that I see is that as an IC, you're solving the problems. You're managing your partner, your client, your book, and you solve the problems. As a manager, at least as I'm thinking about what does it mean for me to be a good manager, it's really coaching and empowering my people. So I'm not solving their problems. I'm coaching them to solve their problems, which is really cool and amazing when you see it in action, but it's a very different role. And I don't know that before taking that role, I realized how the core of my job would be so different from solving a problem versus coaching someone to solve their problems. So that was a big aha that I had. Did you feel like becoming a people manager at the same time that you were growing a family, that you were able to leverage the same skill, developing people, teaching them how to do things? Is that a little too far of a stretch? Is there the same thing between working with somebody in their mid-20s and working with somebody in their you know, mid-weeks? <laughs> it was three, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We kind of joke about it sometimes. Like, yes, there are a few similarities. More that you feel responsible for people at work and you feel responsible for people at home. And you really want to teach them how to do things so they're successful on their own. So yes, there are similarities in that respect, but of course they're very different. And you've got capable people at work who don't cry. You have very capable people at home, even if they cry and wet themselves every once in a while. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of times that you had to advocate for yourselves. And that's one of the ways that you were able to not only develop your career, but also develop your family at the same time. Talk to me about your strategy for advocating. How are you able to put your best foot forward, make your case why you should be given more responsibility and more ownership without necessarily being grabby or complaining? It's tough. I think it's a very fine line. And sometimes I think I have had trouble with confidence in doing that. But for the times that I've been able to be confident and put myself out there and do things like just literally raise my hand and say, hey, I can do that or I can go to that meeting or I'd like to help with X or sharing a perspective on something. I think that puts you in that position of natural organic leadership. I think when going a little outside of my comfort zone, that served me well. So just remembering to do that. I think one of the things that I've heard consistently from the other women that are in the Women in MarTech series is that a lot of women feel like they are hesitant to advocate for themselves because they have 80% of the qualifications on a job. And I'm gender stereotyping a little bit here. You know, men are like, I have 60% of the qualifications. I'm going to go after that job. And women are like, I have 80%. Maybe I shouldn't apply. Yeah. Or maybe I shouldn't raise my hand. What gave you the confidence to say that I can do this? I want to take on this additional responsibility. You can put me in this position, you know, feeling like things were still a little uncertain. That's a good question. And yeah, we hear that a lot about those kind of stats, if you will. I think a little bit of it too is sponsorship and someone else helping me too, having kind of a coach or a sponsor at work. So I had a couple people at those junctions we talked about that said they believed in me or encouraged me. So getting some of that feedback from other people at work was really helpful. So I think having a sponsor, someone who will go and say, hey, Adrian can go do that. How about we put her in that position when I wasn't even in the room? So I think there's the having encouragement so I can go and kind of feel like I can raise my hand and say I can do this, but then also having, whether it's the same people or other people, be able to go when there's decisions like that to say, hey, she'd be really good at this when I'm not. 
So Adrian, you mentioned that you had advocates and people that you were not only getting feedback from in terms of what you were capable of doing, but also that were advocating for you. Talk to me about developing internal advocates that are going to help show you the right path, maybe serve as a type of role model, but also that are going to be in the closed door meeting and making your case for advancement. Well, I think it's one of the most important things you can think about proactively as you're going through your day-to-day working at a company is who are those people and identifying them and then cultivating those relationships so they stay strong over time. And I think the key for me was just people that were naturally in those positions. So people that I worked with or had exposure to on some of the projects and core work that I was doing. So it wasn't fake or out of the blue that I was reaching out to them. So it was people that I was already working with and they were sort of seeing the work I was doing and then able to go do that. So I don't know that at the time I probably was too strategic about it, but looking back, I think, again, it were these natural relationships that developed. And I think if I had to ask them to do something, they probably would have But I don't know that I even had to ask for that. It just happened at that time. One of the things that I've learned is that if you're going to people that have more experience to you, ask them for what they think about the challenges that you're facing, as opposed to, can you do this for me? And you'll end up getting the best of both worlds. Yes, Ben, I agree. So as you look back on your career, and you've gone from working at UPS, doing industrial engineering, to becoming a leader in one of the biggest technology companies in the world. What advice do you have for the younger generation? Mostly, how do you advise younger generations of women who are interested in following along a similar career path? I think that one of the things that I wish I had probably known was a little bit more about the reality of what it's like to navigate your career. And people say it, you know, it's not always easy, but like there really are challenges and there's really times where you're going to need to lean in and lean out to have it work with the rest of your life and what you want to have going on. So I think just understanding that this stuff is hard, especially as you're getting older and potentially wanting to have a family or, you know, there's other personal things in your life that you're dealing with or elderly parents or life stuff that it's okay to not always be gunning it and to take a break when you need to, or work hard when you need to or can. So kind of the ebb and flow. And I think the other thing too, is that it doesn't always have to be climbing that ladder, whether it's in one company, one big corporate company, or even multiple, you may get somewhere and figure out, I don't actually really like this. Maybe you thought you wanted to be a manager and you get there and you're like, well, I actually still like solving the problems. I think we've probably done a poor job as a culture to set the expectation of you should be doing X and you should be here by this time. I think work is evolving so much. It's not the same as it was when our parents had one job and stayed at that job for a long time and kind of stuck with it and climbed the ladder. I think it's okay to say, I'm going to try this and I don't like it. I'm going to do something different. Like we're going to be working a long time for those of us who at least didn't stick with the startup. (laughs) And I think just being able to either take a break or try something new or say, hey, I got to this place and I'm going to maybe make a different jump because I think just focusing on where can you continue to find personal growth? Where can you have an impact where you feel good, where you feel valued? I think those are the things that should be focused on instead of just a position or the next role. So I think that the way that you have not only focused on finding the right balance for yourself, not only the balance in terms of what your career aspirations are, but your balance outside of your career and at home, 
and the way that you've had enough confidence to advocate for yourself to do something in a large organization that didn't exist, how you've carved out your own niche, is not only a great inspirational and aspirational message for younger women that are interested in marketing and technology, it is for me as well. The fact that you've been able to vault your career forward during the time of your peak family developmental years is inspiring to me as your friend. And I hope that the other people listening to this podcast feel the same as well. So thank you for being my friend. Thank you for sharing the story with the audience. I appreciate you making the time to come onto the show. Oh, Ben, it's such a pleasure. I love talking with you. I love being part of this. I really appreciate you having me here. All right. It's a love fest here on the MarTech Podcast. And (laughs) that wraps up this episode of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Adrian Buman, who is the head of channel partnerships at Google's marketing platform for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Adrian, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is abuman, A-B-U-H-M-A-N-N. Or you could visit her company's website, which is google.com, G-O-O-G-L-E.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. To have more MarTech in your inbox, go to benjshap.com newsletter to subscribe. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks again to Adrian Buman for joining us. And until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.